Welcome. Today is March 16th. This is our second podcast, and I am your host, Delaney Howell. Joining me is my co-host, Mike Pearson. And Mike, what do you see? I see a lot of green on the screen for futures. You bet. It is an up day pretty much across the board here in the futures market. If you don't mind, Delaney, I'd just like to read right into them. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, let's kick it off with the corn contract. May corn closed the day up two and a half cents at 366 even. December corn was also up two and a half to close at 387 and a half. Over in the soybean trade, May 2017 beans closed the day at 1001 and a half. They were up three and a half cents. Novi beans closed at 995 and a half, up two and a half. Jumping down into the wheat market, their rally has at least not stopped. May wheat closed the day at 436 even, unchanged from yesterday. As we take a look down into the livestock markets, we've got April live cattle closing today up one and a half bucks at 119.20. In the feeder cattle, they closed the day, the, the April contract, excuse me, closed at 130.55. And an interesting thing as we take a look at the cattle markets, Delaney, there is still a huge discount of the futures to the cash market. Cash trade yesterday on the Fed Cattle Exchange was up uh, 125, and there were some trades up around 128 on the cash side. So packers are still out there bidding. That's great news for us. Uh, like I said yesterday, my dad raises feeder cattle, so I'm always happy to see those prices go up. You bet. It's nice to see some black ink there for the it feedlot is. producers. It is. Boy, speaking of black ink, red ink, ink being spilled all over the place, Delaney, there has been movement coming out of Washington, D.C. What there have has. you been hearing on Capitol Hill? Yeah, so today President Trump's administration released the budget called America First, a budget blueprint to make America great again. And I think there are some shocking numbers in here, specifically for agriculture. What jumped out at you? You know, so his biggest thing is building back up the nation's defense. So federal $54 billion uh, increasing in defense funding. And so he's got to cut that $54 billion from somewhere else. So agriculturally related, he's cutting $17.9 billion from the USDA, which is a 21% decrease from 2017. Whew, big numbers. Big numbers. And yeah, so... It'll be interesting. I, I know you mentioned you uh, read some articles earlier today about some, was it the Farm Bureau that was voicing opposition to that? Well, yeah, there the American Farm Bureau, and then there were 11 other farm and ranch groups today up on Capitol Hill uh, talking to the Congressional Budget Committee. So it's interesting. Trump's going to propose this budget just as President Obama did for his past eight years, but mm. it's really just a suggestion for Congress. The actual work, well, if work gets done, I suppose, the actual work would happen in Congress where they do the appropriations. And so these groups, Farm Bureau, oh gosh, there was a whole slug of them, were up there really presenting a letter to the Congress people that underlined the need for a strong farm safety net, given the fact that we have seen really quite a bit of financial hardship out in the countryside. You know, it's interesting. This is the fourth year of uh, declining revenues, net farm income uh, for the past four years has declined. You know, that's a that's a big number, Delaney. It is. Yeah, definitely. And I, I want to come back to that point in a second, but let me just uh, touch base on a few other points in the budget I think might affect rural America. Yeah, tell us. Um, yeah, in the in the labor portion, Department of Labor, he's planning to cut $2.5 and that's a 21% decrease. 
Department of Transportation, we see another $2.4 billion being cut out, down 13%. And then finally, the EPA, he's planning to pull out $5.7 billion, and that's a 31% drop from 2017. So, you know, there's there, there's going to be a lot of controversy out there from the ag world. Well, you know, and when you look at all of those numbers, the EPA number, that big budget cut, you know, that one actually seems fairly plausible, given the fact that we've got Scott Pruitt, the uh, former Oklahoma attorney general, in there as, uh, I guess I don't know his position, director of the EPA? Secretary. Secretary of the Secretary. EPA. Secretary. Yeah. I think, I believe that's the correct title, yep. Yeah, and so, you know, I mean, he is no fan of the EPA. I can't imagine <laughs> he would have a hard time finding $5 billion to cut there uh, out of their program. So definitely a whole yeah. bunch of things to keep our eyes on. Definitely. It'll be interesting to see what programs they cut out of the EPA, whether they cut um, inspection programs or who knows. Yeah, time will tell. And we'll have to see if these numbers, if what comes out of Congress actually ends up resembling these numbers at all as well. Right, right. You know, that is a lot of news. At least we've got some good news in there as we take a look at these market prices. But Delaney, as we look out to the future, of course, we're still on our first week of podcasts, which means it's still introduction week. Tell us who we're going to be talking to today. Sure. Today we're talking to Ted Seifred. He works for Zaner Ag Hedge, and he has a lot of great things to talk to us about. Unfortunately, we didn't get to talk cattle markets with him today, but hopefully next week when we have him on the show again, we'll make sure and touch those points with him. You bet. We will uh, have a conversation with Ted, and you're right. We will pick up talking cattle. Ted loves to talk cattle. And uh, he does a great job discussing the grain markets with us this week, as well as a little bit of his background. So let's uh, let's cue up Ted Seifert and listen to what he's got going on in the world of Ted. We're here with Ted Seifert now, the chief strategist for Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, how are you doing? Doing great, Delaney. How are you? Good. We're excited to have you. I'm excited to be here. Fantastic. <laughs> So, Ted, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Did you grow up on a farm? Where did you go to school? Well, uh, I grew up on what I would call a hobby farm. My dad is a dentist, and uh, he was a dentist in western Illinois. Uh, he had about a 50-acre farm that I grew up on. Uh, so not a very serious operation. Uh, he outsourced <laughs> a fair amount of stuff. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I grew up in the community, and I grew up uh, learning that. And then... Um, he, well, my family moved, uh, to the suburbs of Chicago, uh, later on. And then I went to college at Western Illinois university. So I, that was close to where I grew up. Uh, and I had a whole bunch of friends that went there and that was a way for me to kind of stay in touch with them. Uh, so I went to Western Illinois university and I studied, uh, ag econ, uh, in what I consider one of the better programs in the country, at least at the time, it was really fantastic. Uh, especially with the trading room that they had and, and everything, and it was uh, it was great. You know, I, I really attribute a lot of uh, my education in Western Illinois is uh, to giving me beneficial tools for my career ahead. Now, Ted, you didn't just work on the trading room; you worked on the floor, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I was, I did. I I, uh, I had a friend that uh, his dad traded in the milk pit, and um, the summer. In between my senior year of high school and college, he said, hey, what are you doing for the summer? Uh, I said, well, I really don't have much plans. I just kind of hang around, maybe go work at the Walmart, you know, something like that. Uh, and he's like, well, you know, my dad works on the floor. 
um, and, you know, I'm going to go work with him on the floor for the summer. Do you want to come and, and join me? And I said, yeah, that sounds great. Um, so I did that, and I, I did that throughout college, and that was uh, a lot of fun. And then when I, uh, when I graduated school, or, or actually, let me backtrack, uh, while I was going to school, initially, uh, when I was in high school, and I, I kind of thought I'd wanted to be an architect. Uh, but after working on the floor and realizing that uh, I really enjoyed ag and ag econ classes and just econ classes in general, um, I kind of shifted gears and, and decided, okay, I think this is what I want to do. So when I, when I graduated college, I, uh, I, I went and I started working full-time on the floor, um, went from being a runner to a phone clerk to a phone clerk out trade clerk, um, you know, and just kind of rode that for a while um, and sort of, uh, again, was developing my career on the floor but at the same time, the writing on the wall was getting more and more clear that the floor was going to be going away at some point. So I, uh, I kind of got in with a brokerage group um, that was off the floor at uh, R.J. O'Brien at 222 South Riverside Plaza. Uh, they, were, we, they were a uh, institutional ag brokerage firm, or uh, institutional ag brokerage group. Um, there was two brokers, and then I became the third. Um, and we had uh, big institutional accounts uh, in the agricultural hedging arena. So mainly um, big elevators, Ted? Who are you working with? Frito-Lay, General Mills, Smithfield, oh, gotcha. Conagra. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, big, big end users for the most part. Yeah. Uh, also some very large end users. Um, and there's a lot more vertical inter- integration happening down in South America. So, um, I very large, a handful of very large South American accounts, a few very large uh, uh, European accounts. Uh, we tried really hard to get into Asia, and we just it didn't really, we really weren't successful with that. But, uh, just but aside not from as that, accepting or not willing to work with Americans, what do you think was the uh, holdup there? Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I, it's both of those. Okay. You know, uh, one, you know, trading on U.S. markets. Uh, seemed like if that was happening, it was happening in banks in China or Japan. Um, and then, yeah, there was obviously the language barrier, which we were able to overcome with the Brazilians, but just not the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a culture di- difference yeah, that uh, we just weren't able to, to, to tear down that wall. But, uh, but you know, as we kind of went along with, with that, and, you know, as trading sort of changed and, and the way we do things really changed, uh, it became, you know, much more electronic trading. Right. Uh, yeah. So what ended up happening is, you know, a lot of these big companies, they didn't really need someone for advice, and they really didn't need someone for execution aside from the more complex option orders and things like that. Uh, so what it came down to is that we were just uh, order takers. You know, that, that's kind of where that was going, or at least that's how it felt to me. Uh, and that's not what I wanted to do. Wanted to do. I, I wanted to be in the business of giving advice, um, talking about markets and giving you know my best take on what I thought we were going to see uh, and how to deal with that and um, so you know I started I started kind of drifting away from the institutional side of things but not before uh, more than a few of our, our biggest accounts started doing something and I'm I think it was right around 2004 if my memory serves correctly uh, where they had been using really ex- exclusively futures, um, and they they went from using 
again, almost 100% futures with the occasional options to cover the futures uh, to using 60 to 80% options. And they were more complex, like three-legged strategies, things like that. I thought that was very interesting. And so what I did is I sort of uh, paper traded. You know, when they would put an order on, I'd look at the, I'd look at the screen, I'd write down the price, and I'd, I'd do the equivalent futures contracts to see how that would work. And what I realized was that futures were a lot better at taking 10-cent moves. Uh, but these option strategies were very good for the bigger directional, you know, 60 cents, dollar moves, things like that. Um, they were doing almost as well as the futures, but they were doing it at a much lower uh, margin. Uh, so they're, at the time, you know, between 60 and 70% of the margin of the futures. So they were able to manage these a lot better. Uh, and I thought, wow, this is really interesting, and this is a very useful tool not only for the end user, but I think the producer could really use this as well. <laughs> so that's when I started to make my transition to go uh, more away from the larger institutional end user, more towards the mid to small size end user and the mid to large size producer, figuring, you know, companies, uh, you know, the big institutional companies have guys in-house that, predict, that, that look at markets and, and take positions and things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I saw the need for a guy like me being more the, again, mid to small end user and the mid to large uh, producer. Uh, so I took a lot of the tricks that these guys were using and kind of converted them or flipped them over for the producer. And then I started uh, really marking myself in the, in the area for producers. Um, and that, uh, that kind of has been, I've been doing, that's been my focus now for about 11 years. And so when did, you, uh, when did you take up with Zayner? Okay, so now I've been with Zayner uh, nine years now, I believe. And okay. uh, I came, I actually was headhunted uh, to come to Zayner. Um, I was with MF Global at the time, and that was about a year and a half before MF Global uh, went under. And I was headhunted to, uh, because of my institutional uh, uh, background, uh, I was head headhunted to come over to Zaner and start uh, the Zaner Ag Hedge Group. Uh, so I was headhunted to come over here. Uh, I had a long conversation with Matt Zaner. Uh, he and I got along very, very well. We found out that we uh, uh, had very similar backgrounds, and uh, you know, we just uh, I could tell that that was going to work well. Uh, but I said, Hey, listen, MF Global has really fantastic healthcare. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my guys in the office have done the the LASIK surgery, which <laughs> I really like that idea. Uh, so give me a couple months because I'm going to go do the LASIK, and then after about two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> nice. So I did that. I went, I went and I got the LASIK surgery done uh, on MF Global's dime, and then uh, and then I moved over from MF Global and started Zaner Ag Hedge, and we've been uh, growing that. Uh, ever since for, for the last nine years. So as chief strategist, what, what are you responsible for? Do they look to you for guidance in you know, institutional trade? Yes, Tell a, us about that. absolutely. Great question, Delaney. Um, I, I wear a bunch of different hats here. Uh, first and foremost, I have clients that I uh, take care of uh, that I've had for a very long time. And I, don't ever, I don't ever want to not have clients that I'm advising because if I'm doing that and I don't have skin in the game, I feel like the advisory role that I have here at Zaner suffers. And I feel like the market strategies that I'm passing on to the brokers that work for me suffers. But in the meantime, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the trade strategies that I'm using, I will pass them off 
to the brokers that work with me and say, here's what I'm doing, here's why I'm doing it. Think about your customers and think about guys that this might be beneficial for and then you know, contact them and, and give them the explanation of that. Um, the other things that I do, aside from managing accounts and also managing uh, brokers here at Zaner, um, I, I am in charge of coming up with uh, trade estimates uh, for all the big USDA WASD reports, with, you know, all the other USDA reports as well. Uh, that you know, for example, at the end of March we've got the uh, uh, prospective acreage and quarterly grain stocks reports. So, you know, I crunch all the numbers, I do all that, and I and I submit our numbers to the big news agencies as far as what our trade guesses are. And do you um, always and strive also, to be average, Ted, or where do you? Uh... Where do you like to put your acreage, your estimates in at, whether they're quarterly grain stocks or acreage or WASD, you name it? Well, we try to be right. I mean, I don't, <laughs> I, for me, I don't really, <laughs> I don't, I don't mind or I don't pay attention to where everybody else is. For the acreage number, it's hard, you know, there's no way to not pay attention to some of these numbers because they can have an effect on the market. So, you know, in the last couple of days, we've seen Informa and we've seen Allendale. So I've seen those numbers, but those numbers are not, you know, I, they really have very little influence on what numbers I'm coming up with. The numbers that I'm coming up with are based on our own proprietary research. Uh, and it's sort of a hybrid of a survey and also statistical analysis. We do a bit of both. Um, you know, so I don't really ever want to be the average. I don't really ever want to be the high or the low. Um, well, I'll say this. I'd rather be – it's more fun when it comes out. Uh, or when we submit our numbers and then the average trade guesses come out and then the range of guesses comes out, I always think it's more fun when I'm either towards the low end or the high end because, you know, it, it, if if I'm right, it's it's a it's a bigger call, you know. Uh, whereas if you're the average number and you're right, it's like okay, we were all right, yay. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's, it's everybody but, gets a uh, Right, exactly right. But I'm not striving to be that high or the low. I'm just striving to be accurate. And if I if if I happen to be on one of the extremes, and uh, and that number is where it comes out accurate, then that that's that's probably the best feeling when we have a report come out like that. But uh, but no, I, I don't I don't aim to be different than everybody else. I aim to be accurate. Perfect. Now, Ted, part of our plan as we go forward is to uh, talk to you probably once a week about what the trade is thinking, what the trade is doing. And, uh, you know, maybe how producers could manage that kind of a risk. And I know you've taken that role on Market to Market and U.S. Farm Report and Ag Day and pretty much any place with a screen, Ted Seifert has been on it. Um, so we're really looking forward to uh, partaking in your wisdom as we go forward. Okay. Yeah, no, that sounds like a great plan. Uh, would you like me to do a, kind of a rundown of what we're seeing here this week and uh, lead up for the next, uh, you know, uh, going forward, or do we want to yeah, do that next that'd time? That would be great. Yeah, set us up, Ted. What's the market doing okay. today? Let's talk corn, beans, cattle, and hogs. Well, pretty quiet week so far. Um, you know, y you've really had corn and beans and wheat coming down pretty good over the last week and a half or so. Uh, that is coming under some pretty, soybeans in particular, pretty major South American producer selling. As their harvest really lows, rolls along, they had been behind in their bean sales, so... Um, now we're seeing a lot of beans getting sold off the combine, and that has been heavy for soybeans. Along with that, you know, the numbers we talked about, there's been some very large estimates for soybean acreage in the last couple of days coming from Informa and from Allendale, uh, both looking at just under 89 million acres. Uh, so that's weighing on the soybeans. 
we're challenging some key technical areas, so the funds have had to get out of some of those positions as well. Uh, so soybeans have had a rough go of it, and it's kind of pulled corn and wheat down with it a bit as well. Um, as we move towards the end of the month, the key or the highlight there is going to be that quarterly grain stocks and prospectives plantings report that we have on March 31st. Um, that is kind of shaping up to being one of the biggest reports of the year uh, because are there are some pretty – go ahead. What are you expecting to see from those reports? Yeah, so I don't really think that we're going to see quite as large of a shift in acreage as what a lot of the other analysts and even surveys have said. Um, I do think we're going to see a pretty significant increase in soybean acreage, and I do think so, uh, corn acreage will be down. I just don't think it's quite as big as what the trade's expecting. I think uh, at the end of the day, we'll be a lot closer to about 86.5 million acres in soybeans, which would be about two or a little over two million acres uh, lower than some of the numbers that we've seen here this week. Uh, and I, th- I really wouldn't be surprised if we're somewhere between 92 and 93 million acres in corn, which would be about two to three million acres above what the trade was looking for, or, or some of the bigger numbers that we, or some of the numbers that we've seen here this week. Now, Ted, is, um, that, I just, is that I, the Zaner guess, or have you not published the uh, the official Zaner estimate yet? We have not put out okay. our official numbers, but I can tell you because I'm the one that does it. I can tell you that's that's where we're thinking. I'm I'm going to be. Uh, in, we're still collecting data as far as surveys are concerned, uh, but at least uh, most of the statistical analysis has been done, uh, and something that we really look at very closely. Uh, for corn, we do, well, I should say this, we don't just look at the relationship between corn and soybeans. Um, I, I put a lot of weight on where corn's trading, in particular what the average price was in February for you know crop insurance purposes, uh, and I look at input costs. And that has a big bearing on, 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 the, on the, the numbers that we're putting out there. Um, I, I feel like a lot of the numbers that we've seen recently are focused very, very much on the corn and soybean ratio, meaning where soybeans are trading in, in, relative to corn. And while I, I certainly recognize that that has a, a, a big impact on acreage decisions, I don't think that's the only thing that that uh, drives acreage decisions. And, yeah, I can tell you right now that, you know, corn, again, trading a bit higher than it was uh, last year and input costs being lower, I just don't see that 4.5 million acreage decline in corn. I don't. We don't have official Xander numbers, but I... I'm telling you right now, they're gonna and they're going to be. Uh, corn's going to be between 92 and 93 million acres, and soybeans are going to be between 86 and 87 million. So, as a speculator, Ted, if I'm looking ahead two weeks to that report, do I want to be mm-hmm. broadly speaking short beans, long corn, both new crop contracts? Well, as a speculator, I think I want to be short soybeans. Uh, you know, if I if I were, and I do have speculators that I work with, but you know, I want to be short beans for the time being. Um, you know, we talked about that at the end of last week, and that's been working out well here this mm-hmm. week. Um, you know, I, I want to be short beans for right now because, again, the main thing that I'm looking at is South American producer hedging uh, happening in a big way uh, or producer sales happening in a big way during their, their good-looking window for harvest here, and I think that is the main feature that we have. So short beans, um, long corn. While I've been dabbling, you know, I, I really want to be long corn for the long haul. Um, I want to be long corn uh, through the growing season. I'm looking at December corn in particular. And so I've been kind of scaling in on some corn positions that I think work great for both producers and speculators. Um, and I'm looking at call spreads out in December corn, the $425 or the $4.450. I think both of those have uh, have have a lot of interest from 
again, specs and and producers alike. We don't need we don't need to get a ton of those done right away because, like I said, you know, I wonder if this report might be slightly bullish for beans and slightly bearish for corn. So I think we have time to just kind of pick away at, at a position and sort of slowly and quietly build that up. Uh, but it is something that. Uh, once we get into the first week or two uh, of April, I really want to have a very well-established and a fairly large position on that longer-term corn. Uh, for soybeans, I, I think I'll be short between now and the days leading up to that report. So I think for the next two weeks, I'll be fairly short beans and kind of riding that a little bit. Uh, but I'll probably be getting out of most of my speculative shorts and soybeans by the end of the month. Well said, I think uh, we'll let you go. We've had a great discussion with you, and we look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. My pleasure. I look forward to talking to you guys again, too. Yeah, and we'll talk cattle next time. Cattle? Oh, yeah. That's sweet even get there. We time did. flies when you're having fun, I know. Right? It does. It does. Thank you so much, Ted, and we'll, we'll let you get going and embrace that winter wonderland that is Chicago. Yeah, it took me four hours to get to work yesterday morning, so <laughs> embrace I will, yeah. But, All right, uh, well, thanks, well, hey, Mike. Thanks, thanks, so thanks Delaney. You Thank guys you. have a great one. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds Bye. good. Bye, Ted. Bye. Thanks again, Ted, for joining us. We hope Ted will become one of our regular market analysts here on Ag News Daily Podcast. Now, before we go, I want to do a little shout-out for my Twitter handle. Yesterday, we mentioned that the podcast's Twitter handle is at Ag News Daily, but my personal Twitter handle is at Delaney Howell 07. And it would be great if some of our subscribers could go to that Twitter handle. And on there, I have a survey going on right now. As I mentioned yesterday, I'm working on my thesis through Texas Tech University. So please stop by my Twitter handle. Follow me. Take that survey for me. You bet. Take that survey. Make sure uh, we get your answers counted. And, you know, Delaney, with the work you're doing down there, you might be shaping the future of ag communication. We'll see, I guess, in a few years, won't we? We'll see. We'll see. In the meantime, we will be back tomorrow, and we will bring you more ag news and more ag coverage, and we will take a deeper look into the markets. So until then, remember to check out uh, our Twitter feed, at Ag News Daily, and be sure to tell your friends and let us know what you'd like us to cover. 